It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has, the, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. Let's all turn in our Bibles to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation 3, and we can also stand because we'll read together. Revelation 3, verse 14 to 20. 14 to 20. Revelation 3, 14 to 20. And let's read it here. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, and miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Thank you for reading. You can sit down. Is it possible that we have just had it too good? And the problems that come up in our lives are not products of injustice or evil, per se, but rather just exist because we made them happen. Can it be that the problems we have in our lives are just things that happen because we made them happen? Often, we as a nation have problems because we had actually kicked God out of the picture. We have kicked God out of the problems. And the one solution, sometimes the one cure to fix the issues, we had gotten rid of already. How did that option ever even become an option? Because of pride. I titled this message an autopsy of pride. Now, an autopsy is when an investigation is made on a person who had died and they try to find out how they had died. And I think this quote really fits our time, though it was written almost 160 years ago. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved these many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no other nation has ever grown. But we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. And we have vainly imagined and in the deceitfulness of our hearts 
that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom and virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. Too proud to pray to the God that made us. Abraham Lincoln, 1863. It's very easy as a Bible-believing church to look at a church like the church of Laodicea, as we just read just now, and think, we are so glad that we're not like them. It is very easy to look at how even the Israelites in Exodus sinned so quickly after they had just gotten the Ten Commandments and think, wow, I can't believe someone would dance around a golden calf like that when they had just been told not to do something like that. Or perhaps a man like Solomon, it's easy to look at him and say, how is it that a man so full of wisdom could fall into the trap of polygamy? But when a sin is so rampant, you'd be surprised how much easier it is to sin. When it is in the nature of the culture you live in, it becomes so much easier to sin and not feel any guilt. And the thing is, when we live a life where we are constantly comparing ourselves to others, it becomes easier and easier and easier to sin. And this danger had overtaken the church in Laodicea. And this culture that where you compare yourself or you start relying on yourself because of the blessings that you've been showered with and start relying on those instead of the person or the being who had actually given you those great things. The culture to compare themselves with others is a very human thing to do. It's very human to compare yourself. But the thing is, pride, which was the reigning sin that plagued Laodicea, because of distractions, because of wealth, because of many blessings, because of a lack of persecution, pride was what plagued Laodicea. What Christ saw in that church was something that had disgusted him. And of course, the church is made of Christians. But could this church ever have blamed others for their lack of faithfulness? Just honestly speaking, could it have ever blamed someone else for not being faithful or for not being effective? Could they have said, oh, well, uh, you know, our city is a difficult city to reach, so therefore we didn't bother trying and reaching it. Can they ever blame someone else or something for the decisions that they made? Let's turn around a little and ask, can we blame others for the situation we happen to be in, or did this, the decisions we make? And the rhetorical question is no, or the rhetorical answer is no. Truth is, we can only blame ourselves. Now the thing is, pride is subtle, and just like any virus, there's a way to recognize it. There's a way to recognize if pride is actually in our lives or not. Let's examine the autopsy, through this autopsy of pride, 
and we will examine if it is what it is through the lives of three kings, three Israeli kings. But before we go into that, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to give this service over to you. And Lord, we ask that you would search our hearts. And Lord, we know how much of an abomination pride is, how much you hate it. You cast Satan out of heaven because of it. And Lord, we pray that if pride is something that we struggle with, perhaps we already know, but perhaps we don't. And we pray, Lord, that you would use this message to perhaps expose it so that when we get in our prayer closets, it be something we bring forward to you so that you may deal with it, Lord. We pray that you would glorify yourself and that we would decrease and you would increase through all of this. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's bring up the first king, the ungrateful king, Jeroboam. Who is Jeroboam? So he is first considered the first king of the northern, uh, northern kingdom. What had happened was the nation was given to a man named Solomon, as I had already mentioned. Solomon was a wise king, but he had problems. And there were two men under Solomon. There was his son, and then there was his servant. Now, let's turn to 1 Kings 11, verse 9 and 11. And we're going to see God's ultimatum to King Solomon. So 1 Kings, chapter number 11. 1 Kings, chapter number 11, verse 9 to 11. Here's what it says. And the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart was turned from the Lord, God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing that he should not go after other gods, but he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Therefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. So there you have it. And this honestly must have been a very humbling thing to Solomon, the wisest king who ever lived. There was a prophet of God named Ahijah, and Ahijah, he was the one who appointed Jeroboam. Jeroboam was Solomon's, one of Solomon's servants, the one that's mentioned there. Well, Ahijah, he appointed um, Jeroboam as the next king. The promise was that Jeroboam, if you keep obeying God's commands, God will keep your reign and will keep blessing you as long as you obey God. Well, Jeroboam was one of the servants of Solomon. So he was basically a statesman. He was some kind of a politician, so to speak. He was one of those guys that Solomon, being a king supreme, he would have already given over something to this servant, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, he was in charge of this area called Ephraim. Well, Jeroboam, he had his own ideas. After he got this blessing from Ahijah, he had his own ideas. Instead of obeying God and drawing the people to worship God, Jeroboam became ungrateful. He did what his ancestors also had done. He took the gift of God, he took the blessings of God, and then he turned it into idolatry. 
The gift of God to the Israelites after they came out of Egypt was their liberation, their redemption. God brought the Israelites out and gave them freedom to worship him. But instead, what the Israelites did, they became ungrateful. They started shifting their gaze from God and they started shifting it towards their own problems. And so they built their first golden calf. What did Jeroboam do? He built a golden calf. Something that was required of the law for these Jews every year was that they had to come back to Jerusalem. So if you understand geography of Israel, Jerusalem was in the southern kingdom, right? So Jeroboam, he was in charge of the northern kingdom. Every year, the Jews had to come from the northern kingdom all the way to the southern kingdom to worship God and make offerings to the, in the Jerusalem temple. Well, Jeroboam, he was ungrateful for what God had given him. He wanted even more. He wanted full allegiance of these, of these people. So that first golden calf he built was so that people would worship that golden calf instead of going down to Jerusalem to worship God. He stole God's glory. He created this new religion of idolatry that prevented people to go and worship God in Jerusalem. So this first part of what we see in pride is called ungratefulness. Ungratefulness is seen in people who struggle even with addictions. Often what they have is not enough. They get greedy. They want even more. The homeless that we see around this area of town, they have this one issue. It's ungratefulness. There are food banks that give them food, but no, they need more money to go and do what they want to do. There are social institutions that will help them with, to find a job, but they don't want it. There are measures in place to help them come out of poverty, but their pride will not let them. This is seen in someone who would trade their church attendance for work. I have a small story. When I used to work in retail, it was very tempting for me to work on Sundays. Uh, and even Wednesdays, actually. Uh, see, the thing is, my employer, he was willing to pay me more and give me more hours if I were willing to stay on Sundays and on Wednesdays, the same days that there would be a church service. And the thing is, I knew that I didn't have that much debt. Uh, Debt-wise, I had to pay for Bible college. That's it. Uh, maybe, maybe a phone bill. But those were already covered by my normal hours at that shift, uh, that I got uh, at that retail work. I wasn't drowning in debt. I didn't have massive bills to pay. And I knew that God had given me that job. But for some reason, there was this huge temptation for me because I knew there would be more and more stuff that I can get just by accepting those shifts, just by being willing to trade off church attendance for work. But this one truth dawned on me. If God was the one who gave me that job, it was also in his power to take it away, just as easily. Also, if God is all-powerful and he is supposed to have full authority over my life, and yet my human employer 
if I'm willing to skip out on church for an all-powerful God, what's to say that I wasn't going to be dishonest with a human employer? God gave me that job and it entrusted it to me. And it, he, all he asked me is to obey him. Jeroboam, he was not grateful with what he had, uh, he had gotten. He wanted more and he was going to disobey God and turn his blessing into an idol. Ungratefulness, which is part of the pride, led him to do this. More than once does the Bible remind us to be grateful and make sure you're thanking God for everything. Let's take a look here in Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1 tells us something about what leads nations away from the knowledge of God. What leads nations away from the knowledge of God? Romans chapter number 1 and verse 21. See, the thing is, there are two witnesses. There are two things that always show an unsaved person that there is at least a God who exists. There's their conscience and there's the creation around them. But in verse 21, people are able to change that to change the way of thinking. How are they able to do it? Look, 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Ungratefulness will change a person's perspective of who God actually is. It's part of the pride. Perhaps the greatest way to dishonor God is to get prideful about your circumstances and be unthankful. You could think, all the things that I possess and will ever become is because of my strength and my strength alone. It was all done by my hands. No man or being has ever helped me get to where I am now. I did it all on my own. If that is the type of attitude we have, God will make sure to humble us. Pride is made up of an unthankful heart. So, that was King Jeroboam, the ungrateful king. Then let's look at Jehu. Jehu, the king who compared. Now, after the land of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the north and the south, God gave the south to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, and Jeroboam, who we just talked about. Now, you can read through the whole history there from 1 Kings and 2 Kings and 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles, and you'll learn that what is recorded of the northern kingdom is that oftentimes they just did evil and evil and evil in the sight of God. That was kind of like their plague. As time went on, there came an eighth king after Jeroboam that reigned in the northern kingdom. And this king, he was, he, this was the king named Ahab. Ahab, he was married to a woman named Jezebel. She was a wicked woman. She was a witch. She was the one who introduced, reintroduced this, uh, this mentality to worship Baal and Ashereth. They were, uh, how they would worship those gods was by uh, sacrificing their children, and these were just evil deeds, and they were considered an abomination. Those were the words that was used by God. These were abominations towards the sight, uh, sight of God. 
And then there was a man named Jehu that came along. Now the life of Jehu, it could have really turned out to be a good, good life. It really could have turned out well, but it still ended up bad. Jehu was anointed by the prophet Elijah to become the successor to the throne of the king of Israel. And what God told Jehu was you need to eradicate first the whole family of Ahab. Ahab's family has to go. Now, who was on the throne was it was Ahab's son. Jehu, he was obedient enough, he did eradicate the family. He eradicated the whole family, and not a single person survived. He went even as far as uh, taking down every single priest of Baal that was hired by Ahab to, uh, to help worship in the northern tribes. And they destroyed all, the, uh, all those priests of Baal and all the priests of Ashrath. So all, what you see is Jehu is practically getting rid of the idolatry, all the idolatry that was there, except there was one problem. Let's take a look, 2 Kings chapter 10. 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter 10, verse 28 and 29, and then we will jump to 31. So 28 and 29, it says, Thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel, howbeit from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them, to wit, the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. And then verse 31, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, uh, God of Israel, with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam which made Israel to sin. Jehu just had a lot of things going for him. For once, it seemed like the notoriously evil northern kingdom was finally going to have a good king. But there was something he lacked. He still held on to something. For some reason, Jehu felt as if he had done enough. He stopped there. He could have gone all the way. He eradicated the whole family. He eradicated all the, the priests of Baal. And he got rid of so much idolatry. And he was so close. But then for some reason, perhaps in his mind, he thought, well, I'm not as bad as the other kings that came before me. Uh, maybe I'll do well without taking these statues down. It may have taken those, down, those kings down, but I'm different. It won't affect me. Does this type of thinking sound very familiar? It was pride creeping back. It is a very possible that Jehu fell into the trap of comparison. And the Apostle Paul himself, he spoke about this trap. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. Verse 12 and 13. For we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. 
But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. I think the sin, this specific part of pride, comparison, is such a subtle sin. There's a story about a Sunday school teacher that was told. She was teaching about the story of the Pharisees and the publicans. She was teaching about how the Pharisee and the publican found themselves in the temple. In the story, the Pharisee was comparing himself with the publican, and he was praying to God. And the Pharisee basically said, at least I'm not like this publican. Well, the teacher kept on going and didn't realize what they were about to say. After having finished the lesson, they were wanting to close up the lesson in a word of prayer. And what the teacher said was, all right, kids, let's bow our heads and thank God we are not like the Pharisee. So it is possible that Jehu thought that he was such a zealous man after having done something that no one else could have done. He had to put a whole clan to death after all, something that no one else was willing to do. This second part of pride is that a person would compare themselves and think, they are at least not like the other bad person. Humankind comparing with humankind. That is the second part of sin. Now, let's get to the third king, our third man. The king who believed a lie, King Uzziah. Now, King Uzziah, he was a king from the southern kingdom. There was the northern kingdom, the two other kings we just talked about, the last king is from the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah. He was considered a good king. He started to reign at the, age, the young age of 16, just like some of the teens we had sent. And it seems that the more Uzziah sought after God, the more his kingdom prospered. He defeated the Philistines, the tribe from which Goliath came from, and that was an issue that Israel had been facing for nearly 600 years. And finally, Uzziah took a hold of that and got rid of that issue. Uzziah was the one who finally fixed the problem, many problems. He was an innovative king. He was a smart king. And he took advantage of a lot of things. Now, he was so prosperous that it seemed that everything was just going to go so well. You'll notice a pattern here. Everything is about to go so well. There are times that even in a Christian's life where we may believe a lie. And Uzziah was about to believe in a lie. This is the third part of pride. When we are so convinced by a lie that we have made it our own truth. Now, what was the problem even back in the Laodicean church. We just came through. Everything was going so good, so much to the point where they felt they didn't need Jesus Christ anymore. And for a church to not need Jesus Christ is like a car with no wheels or an engine. It was practically useless. The words in Revelation 3, 17 and 18, it said, 
because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eye salve that thou mayest see. So what was this lie that Uzziah believed in? Uzziah was condemned for some reason. He wanted to go into the temple and burn incense to God. Now, if you know the jobs of the Israelites, only the Jews that were from the tribe of Levi can do this. Only they were allowed to go inside of the tabernacle or inside of the temple and burn incense to God. But Uzziah, who was a king, was not allowed to do this. But for some reason, Uzziah thought, I want to do something good. And I'm also above the law. Therefore, let me go and do this. Uzziah was so convinced in the fact that he got even angry with the guys who were telling him the truth. Uzziah believed in this lie so much that he got angry. 2 Chronicles 26. Let's turn there. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 18 and 19. Here's how it went down. And they, this being the priests, they withstood Uzziah the king and said unto him, It appertaineth not unto thee, Uzziah, to burn incense unto the Lord, but to the priests, the sons of Aaron, that are consecrated to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for thou hast trespassed. Neither shall it be for thine honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah was wroth and had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was wroth with the priests, the leprosy even rose up in his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord from beside the incense altar. God gave leprosy to Uzziah for this act, one of the nastiest diseases in human history. Truth will make a prideful person angry. That's, that's how this lie works. Because their whole hubris, their whole mentality is based on believing a lie. According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has, the, which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. A quote from C.S. Lewis. Satan really had to believe in his own lie to think that he can one day become higher than God. That was the only way that he could have sinned. You can see how pride is the nastiest sin of all because it only leads to more and more sin. Pride compares 
with others. Pride is ungrateful. And pride believes in a lie. Pride is this universal human problem. And we, if we are honest with ourselves, we would admit that there is still little slivers of pride somewhere in our lives, somewhere festering. Perhaps maybe you noticed throughout this whole message that different parts of pride, maybe some were present, some were not. You find yourself thanking God only in the good times, never in the hard times. Though the Bible says to give thanks in everything, that would be considered pride, the ungratefulness. Perhaps you notice that when you are confronted by something, that you start to compare yourself instead of fixing the issue. Or just throughout your life, you know that you need to compare yourself with someone else to find affirmation or to find a sense of belonging. That's pride as well. So, lastly, it is very possible that you have started to believe in something that turned out to be a lie. But will you get angry about it? Of course, a person who has believed in a lie would never really think of it as a lie, right? If you've really believed in it. But the best indicator to know if someone is prideful is when you bring up the truth, will they get angry at you? Will they get mad at you or annoyed? There's a reason why the Bible makes atheists so angry. When you are told to do something by authorities, perhaps, placed in your life, do you find them annoying? May I suggest there is a pride problem there. Christ, God in the flesh, has the remedy. And there's two, there's two parts to this remedy. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2. This is my conclusion here. Philippians chapter number 2, verse 3 to 5. It says, let, ne- let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, the mind of Christ. Then 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. First Peter 5, verse 6. <clears throat> Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourselves, even when you think you don't have a prideful, life, uh, prideful heart. Humble it. Every day. J- James chapter 4, verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of God, of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Matthew 23, verse 12, it says, And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Proverbs 16, verse 9 says, Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. 
God can only use a humble person. I think we see that throughout the whole Bible. There is no prideful person that's ever being used. You cannot be used if you are already filled with yourself. God cannot fill someone who has already filled only themselves. If your heart is prideful, God can't use you. Someone was once asked to illustrate pride. So what they did was, this was an illustrator, of course. They, they were asked, uh, illustrate pride for me. Can you draw out pride? So what they did was they drew a giant balloon. And this giant balloon was so big that it was able to pick this man who was already holding on to the string. And the thing is, it was filled with helium. So this balloon kept going up and up and up and up and up. And the longer that this person held on to this balloon, the higher they got. But what was going to happen if that balloon popped? If it was high enough, the man will die. But if it was closer enough to the ground, if he had already popped it before it got too high, it wouldn't have been as harsh of a landing. Let's never get the impression that we can forever live in our pride and live a Christian life thinking God is pleased with us. God will never, never use a prideful person, an ungrateful person, somebody who just compares themselves with others. God will make sure to humble us. But knowing if we are humble, uh, if we are prideful and letting go of that giant balloon that we're holding on to, that will save us much more heartache by popping it. Let God pop that balloon before it gets too high. Let go of pride and stay close to the ground. Humble ourselves and let God lift us up. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word. Thank you.